Blog Talk Radio. Truth Seeker, you are listening to the live internet broadcast of PGN's Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. This is PGN, Prophetic Grace Network. You are listening to Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. I am excited to discuss and analyze the Book of Revelation today. On our agenda is the Millennial Reign prophecy it's the 10th prophecy in the book of revelation our focus today our focus today will be why the antichrist is not relevant during the millennial reign again our focus today will be why the antichrist is not relevant during the millennial reign but to begin let's talk about the book of Revelation and how we arrive at talking about the millennial reign prophecy. There are 66 books in the Bible, 27 in the New Testament. The last book in the Bible is the book of Revelation, and this book has six parts. It has a preface as well as a formal introduction and a formal conclusion. So the beginning of the book, there's a preface, then there's a formal introduction. Uh, The preface tells us what exactly the book is, how we arrive at having information in the book, and the purpose of the book. In the formal introduction, we hear our, our primary narrator, Our primary narrator, John the Revelator, talking to us as well as some of the words of Jesus Christ. In the formal conclusion, we have both John the Revelator and Jesus Christ speaking to us, readers of the book of Revelation, tag-teaming, tag-teaming with that formal conclusion. So we have verses 1 to 8 of the book of Revelation, that's the preface. Verses 9 to the end, that's the formal introduction. That's chapter 1. First two parts of the book of Revelation. It ends with John the Revelator and Jesus Christ both talking to us, readers of the book of Revelation, verses 6 to the end of chapter 22. Now, what's in between? What are the three parts that are in between? Chapters 2 and 3. So the book of Revelation is a major work of prophecy. So there are many uh, books of prophecy in the Bible. Key books of prophecy, in my opinion, the book of Revelation as well as Daniel. Uh, Book of Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, those are the big four, in my opinion. Now let's talk about the book of Revelation. What are these three other parts? 
if we're talking about prophecy, there's an interest in prophecy that's relevant for today. Those of us who are living today, right now, in October of 2023, and then there's prophecy that's relevant for those of us who will live during the Great Tribulation. So in other words, in uh, in the future, in upcoming times. When John the Revelator was called up to heaven and given the assignment of watching external visions to himself, today we call those external visions which were moving pictures with sound, we call them movies. He was tasked with going up to heaven to watch external visions to himself. An angel of the Lord was assigned to show him these visions. We, again, in today's vernacular, refer to them as movies because they were moving pictures with sound. They were external to himself. And we not only refer to it as a movie, but we call it a documentary because the visions John the Revelator was shown by an angel of the Lord were visions of soon coming realities. So not uh, a fictionalized movie created for purposes of entertainment, but a documentary presented for the purposes of information, edification. Okay, so very different. Now, at John's time, of course, he and others were interested in what's happening with us, what's happening in our day, in our time, this week, next week, and next month and next year, things like that. So we have in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, 100% of chapters 2 and 3 are the verbatim words of Jesus Christ Specifically, he had words for those individuals who were in the seven churches that existed on this present earth at that time. So chapters 2 and 3 are seven letters for seven churches. What churches? The churches that existed on this present earth at that time. Well, what was he talking to them about? Well, he had words of praise, what they were doing well. He had words of criticism, what they need to change. And he also shared with them promises. He gave them promises for all who run the good race, a good race, all who live and die in Christ. He shared promises uh, with them. So, of course, those promises aren't just for the believers of that day, they're for us too. So there's relevance for us as well. However, chapters 2 and 3, the prophecy uh, and the words of, with, with respect to words of praise and criticism, it was for those seven churches at that time. Now, obviously, as human beings, we tend to make the same kinds of mistakes, so there can be some relevance for those of us in the body of Christ in uh, the church today. But those words, words of praise and criticism, were specific for those churches and the people in those churches at that time, what they were doing well and what they were doing uh, not so well, if you will. Okay, so that's one of the other three parts of the book of Revelation. John was called up to heaven, and he was transported supernaturally to heaven. When he got to heaven, before he was shown the documentaries, 
before he was shown external visions to himself by the angel of the Lord assigned to show him these visions, before he was shown these visions, which we can refer to as documentaries, statements of prophecy because he wrote down in words everything he saw in the documentaries that he saw. So before he was shown these documentaries, he was there in heaven, and he's looking around. He's listening. He's watching. He's hearing. Excitingly, he gives us a report on heaven. Now, it doesn't appear that he went on a tour of heaven. If he did, we don't hear about it in the book of Revelation. But he does tell us, what exactly he saw when he was transported to heaven prior to him being shown the 12 documentaries that he was shown by the angel of the Lord. If you are interested in that, that's the fourth part of the book of Revelation. It's all of chapter 4. He saw some really interesting things. He saw, uh, he saw the Lamb of God. He saw the throne of God. He saw... 24 elders, he, he describes to us the outfit that they had on, what they had in their hands. He saw some interesting creatures. He saw all kinds of interesting things. So if you are curious about what, what does heaven look like, now, we, again, John the Revelator, if he went on a tour of heaven, he doesn't tell us about it in the book of Revelation. But he tells us exactly what he saw, where he was, when he was transported to heaven prior to being shown the documentaries. So John's report on heaven, that's Revelation chapter 4. Now we get to the fifth part of the book of Revelation. It is the bulk of the book of Revelation. That's its prophecies. Now remember, there's some prophecy, right, in their promises in the seven letters to the seven churches, but the bulk of the book of Revelation Future events, uh, future relative to what time? Relative to the time that John existed, John was alive in a mortal body on this present earth. So beginning with chapter 5 and ending with verse 5 of chapter 22, it's all the documentaries. In other words, it's all the prophecies. Now you might say, research scientists, why do you keep, interchanging those words why do you keep saying documentary and vision and then prophecy as if it's all the same thing let me explain why john the revelator was shown visions and these were visions again external to himself it's just like if we went and we saw we had an immersive experience and we're watching mission impossible uh, on, on a big screen, an immersive experience. We're seeing the images with sound. Uh, that's what he experienced. So these weren't visions that he caused himself to have. These weren't uh, night visions. In other words, he wasn't dreaming at night. He was 100% awake. He was lucid. And the vision that he was shown was created by by God, not by himself. And the angel was tasked with showing John the Revelator the vision. Now, he wasn't shown just one vision. He was shown all in a row 12 visions by my analysis. 12 visions all in a row. 
Now, visions that are external to oneself, if somebody else created it and is showing it to John the Revelator or showing it to you or me, they're showing us a movie. But again, this wasn't the visions that he was shown. These movies weren't uh, fiction. They were moving pictures with sound of soon coming future realities. So it's a documentary. So that's why we can refer to any of the visions John the Revelator describes between chapters 5 and 22. We can refer to them as statements of prophecy because why? He was tasked with writing down everything that he saw. That's the instruction that he was given, and he did that faithfully to the best of his ability. If it was you and if it was me, and we were called up to heaven today, and we were shown external visions by an angel of the Lord, I don't know about you, but I'd whip out my cell phone. I'd whip out my cell phone and I'd press the record button, but he didn't have the benefit of the technology that we have in 2023. He was limited to the best technology that existed at that time. Well, what was it? A writing utensil and parchment. So that's what he did. He wrote down in words everything that he saw and heard. So in that way, it's appropriate and accurate to refer to the visions In the book of Revelation, between chapters 5 and 22, it's appropriate and accurate and correct to refer to them as statements of prophecy, as visions, as documentaries, in my opinion, in my opinion. The language used in the Bible, uh, they're referred to as visions and as statements of prophecy. Okay, now, let us talk about What's our focus today? We're going to focus on the 10th vision that the angel of the Lord showed John the Revelator. It is about the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ on this present earth. After Jesus fights and wins the battle of Armageddon, and by the way, the statement of prophecy, the documentary that focuses on the battle of Armageddon uh, in the greatest detail in the book of Revelation is the marriage supper prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. It's the documentary right before this one. And our focus, what we are going to hear today and what we're going to talk about, the millennial reign prophecy. What's uh, a millennia? A millennia is a finite period of time, a thousand years. Now, of course, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he lives forever and ever, right? There won't be an end to his existence. There will not be an end to the existence of any human being. We all either spend the eternities of eternities on the new earth in our perfected, glorified, peak performance bodies, or we spend the eternities of eternities in the lake of fire in eternal damnation, forever separated from God. So we'll never cease to exist. Um, But this documentary, the one we're going to hear, the 10th documentary, the 10th statement of prophecy, I'm referring to it as the millennial reign prophecy because it tells us exclusively and only 
about the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. Now, in Isaiah chapter 9, talking about Jesus Christ, it says, And of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So thinking about everything that's happening in Israel, ultimately, ultimately, When Daniel's 70th week has ended, Jesus Christ will return. And we're going to shortly enter that 70th week, which begins with the signing of the confirmation of the covenant described in Daniel. But right now, in the days and months, and I believe it's a very short amount of time, but in the days and months that precede the second coming of Jesus Christ, The Antichrist will soon emerge. Now, if you listen to PGN on September 8th of 2022 or September 12th of 2022, September 8th or September 12th of 2022, and you were listening to Prophet Randy Chandler's amazing program, you know that the Antichrist is here and you know the identity of the Antichrist. Now, when does he come into play? What we're going to focus on today is the reality that the Antichrist has no relevance in the millennial reign. When Jesus Christ fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon, puts down the governments of men, and he establishes his government. He establishes the kingdom of God on this present earth. Now, many of the nations will be permitted to continue. We say, well, how's that? Under the leadership, under the leadership established by Jesus Christ in the context of his kingdom. And we're told again in Isaiah, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Now, let us go to that statement of prophecy. Let's hear about it, and then we're going to focus on why is the Antichrist irrelevant? Why is the Antichrist irrelevant during the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ? So let's go to now. Let's hear the millennial reign prophecy in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, by the way, The free one-page study notes are available for you, the basic study notes, blogtalkradio.com forward slash live prophetic. Today's date is October 15, 2023. Uh, Here it is, the millennial reign prophecy, John the Revelator speaking to you and me, telling us exactly what he saw in the millennial reign documentary. Then. I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, 
and the people sitting on them had been given the authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again, and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. When the thousand years come to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations, called Gog and Magog, in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army, as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city, But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. That is the millennial reign prophecy in its entirety. Now we said today, Our focus would be, we're not limited to this, our focus today is why the Antichrist is irrelevant during the millennial reign. Verse 9, verse 9, let's go to verse 10. Verse 10 tells us, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet at the end of the millennial reign god's third enemy is destroyed so what does it mean to be destroyed when that language is used destroyed in the bible what is it telling us god's strategy for destroying his enemy is the second death. Let me say that again. God's strategy for destroying his enemies is the second death. One more time. God's strategy for destroying his enemies is the second death. What is it? The second death is when one is placed in the lake of fire, Gehenna. Now, the Bible doesn't refer to the first death, but it refers to the first death over and over again, more than a dozen times, as simply being, quote, unquote, asleep. Why? The first death is temporary. We've just heard in this prophecy that there's the first resurrection, And that every person who doesn't participate in the first resurrection will participate in the resurrection a thousand years later. 
We just heard that. We just heard that. Now, what does that mean? It means that the second death is the true death in the sense that it is for the eternities of eternities. So we are coming to the end of the world. We are coming to the end of time. You say, well, wait a minute. Time will never end. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. According to the Bible, we're coming to the end of time and the end of the world. What world? This world where the earth is under a curse. Now, first, every person in Christ, who's that? Those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Another, word, uh, another way to refer to it, those who are among the good fish, those of us who are among the wheat, the sheep, those who are the branches of the true grapevine, all who are in Christ will participate in the first resurrection. And we will transition to a peak performance immortal, glorified, perfected body, just like the one Jesus Christ inhabits right now. So we'll transition to our forever body, which will be immortal. What about those individuals who die and they don't go to heaven? What about those individuals who are not in Christ, whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who are the goats? who are among the tares, who are among the bad fish. Those individuals will participate in another resurrection. I'm going to refer to it right now as the second resurrection, but I don't see that terminology in the Bible. But we hear in the Millennial Reign Prophecy, let's go back to it, verse 5 says this is the first resurrection, talking about, the resurrection that happens prior to the millennial reign. And then it says the rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. What thousand years? The first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ. So we get the language, the first resurrection, to distinguish it from what? The second. If there's no second resurrection, we don't need to refer to it as the first resurrection. The second resurrection happens after the millennial reign. We're going to be talking about it in November, the great white throne judgment. Now, here's our question. Why is the Antichrist irrelevant? God's strategy for destroying his enemies, and here are God's five enemies. We don't get to the new earth until all five of God's enemies are destroyed. We get to... The eternities of eternities win when we have a new earth. What's a new earth? That's an earth that's free of the curse. That's an earth where there's no more pain, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more mourning, no more death. Now, we're going to transition to our peak performance bodies before we transition to the peak performance earth. What do I mean by that? We're going to be here for a thousand years in our peak performance bodies before we get to the peak performance earth. Why is that? None of God's enemies will be allowed to coexist 
with him, God the Father, and Jesus Christ on the new earth. When we transition to the peak performance earth, we are in the eternities of eternities. That's after the end of the world. That's after the end of time. That's the eternities of eternities. So the end of the world is coming. When does it come? Well, God's five enemies, who are they? Now, this is in the order of their destruction. We're going to focus on the Antichrist, why he's irrelevant during the millennial reign. According to the book of Revelation, God has five enemies who must be destroyed so that God the Father can do what he wants to do. What's his will? What's his plan? He's revealed it to us. He says his will, his plan is to relocate his home, whose home? God the Father is going to relocate his abode from present heaven to the new earth. But he can't do it until everything that's under the curse, every evil thing is destroyed. What are they? Who are God's five enemies? Number one, in the order of their destruction, the Antichrist. Number two, the false prophet. Number three, Satan. Number four, the children of Satan. And number five, death itself. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26 tells us, and the last enemy he destroys will be death. Who's he? Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ will destroy all five of God's enemies. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. We have God the Father. God gave himself a human form, so we have God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, and the Holy Spirit. God dwelling on the inside of every believer who's received him. God the Father, his plan is to relocate his home to the earth. But it's not going to be this earth that's under the curse. It's not going to be where death exists. It won't be where Satan and the children of Satan rule and reign. Absolutely not. Now, we heard in this prophecy at the beginning of the millennial reign, after Jesus Christ has fought and won the battle of Armageddon, one of Satan's peers, an angel of the Lord, we're not told which angel, but one of Satan's peers gets into a physical altercation with Satan. He dominates that altercation. He wraps Satan in some chains, throws him into the bottomless pit, shuts it, and locks it with the key. That's what we're told at the beginning of this millennial reign prophecy. Let's hear that again. Verse 1 of chapter 22. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. Then we're told about events that happen during the millennial reign. Those are important events. But let's fast forward. At the end of this prophecy, Satan's let loose. He does what he does. What's that? Deceives uh, those, deceives those uh, who are his children, and then he's destroyed. How's he destroyed? 
Verse 10, then the devil who had deceived them, talking about the mortals who exist during the millennial reign, then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. The Antichrist and the false prophet are the first two of God's five enemies who are destroyed. When they are destroyed, it means that they have no ability to impact mortals on this present earth or those of us who are members of the royal race. So there's a bifurcation, a bifurcation that's coming. What is it? At the end of time, at the end of the world, everyone will either dwell in one of two places. In Gehenna, that's the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone forever and ever, or on the new earth. When an individual or an entity is placed in the lake of fire, Revelation chapter 20 refers to that as the second death. Now let's go to that verse. It's in the dead judged prophecy. The end of verse 14 of chapter 20 says, this lake of fire is the second death. Now remember John the Revelator tells us in the millennial reign prophecy, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. What does that mean? Every believer, for every believer, the second death holds no power. Why? No believer is going to the lake of fire. No believer is going to eternal damnation. But every person who isn't a believer, in other words, every person who fails to find and follow God's plan for salvation. The second death does have power over them. When the bifurcation happens, you say, well, when is the bifurcation going to happen? When there is only, when there is only the lake of fire and the new earth, when those are the only two locations that human beings and entities can reside on. So right now there are multiple locations. But At the end of this world, there will only be two locations. The bifurcation happens. Either an individual will experience and uh, will experience eternal life, will have eternal life, will be living on the new earth, three in one. What's three in one? Body, spirit, and soul. Glorified, perfected, immortal body. Spirit and soul, same mind, will, and emotions, but renewed, right? Praise God that the word renews our our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. Okay, so either an individual at the end of the world will reside on the new earth or in the lake of fire. Now let's talk about the Antichrist. At the Battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist, loses you know i'm looking forward to the super bowl as you may know my team is america's team the dallas cowboys i'm hoping we go to the super bowl this year in any case there will be one winner and one loser when the bifurcation happens 
when we get to the end of the world, there are two teams. One team's the winning team and one team's the losing team. The winning team is everyone whose team Jesus. The losing team is everyone whose team Satan. Now, who's on team Jesus? Who's on team Jesus? God the Father, the Holy Spirit. Every person who is in Christ, every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, who's team Satan? The Antichrist, the false prophet, Satan, the children of Satan, and death itself. So everyone whose team Jesus is going to be on the new earth. Who's going to be on the new earth? God the Father, we're told in the new earth prophecy, he's relocating his home from present heaven to the new earth. And, in fact, he's built an amazing city, a literal city, a physical city, a tangible city. And he tells us the length, width, and dimensions of this city. He tells us what the city is built out of, the gates in the city, the names on the gates, uh, or the foundation, or both. I mean, I mean, we have incredible detail in the New Earth prophecy. So not only is God the Father relocating his home from heaven to the New Earth, but he tells us where it's going to be. You can guess where it's going to be. It's going to be in Israel. And it's going to be what city? I think you know what it is. It starts with a, a J, Jerusalem. But it will be a new Jerusalem. He's created a city wide because that's where he's going to live. That's where he's going to live, and it's going to be amazing. Now, let's go back. The Antichrist is the first of God's five enemies to be destroyed. So I'm saying this in the order, in, in chronological order of their destruction. Again, what does it mean for an enemy of God to be destroyed? It means that that person has transitioned to option B. That person has transitioned to the lake of fire. That person has transitioned to a permanent residence for all time. What's all time? Beyond time. <laughs> We're now, so time up to and including the end of the world and then beyond time, the eternities of eternities. So the Antichrist is there in the lake of fire while some human beings are still on this present earth, while some human beings are still in Hades, in prisons of darkness, awaiting their trial. So when a person dies, the person goes to one of two places. The person's soul, that's my will and emotions, and the person's spirit, 100% intact. The Bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So those who are in Christ immediately go to heaven, but they're disembodied, two in one instead of three in one. Now, that's not God's perfect plan. That's why we need the resurrection. God's perfect plan, what? For all of his children to be three in one, body, spirit, and soul, where? On the new earth with who? Him. He wants us to see his face, according to the new earth prophecy, Revelation chapters 21 and verses 1 to 5 of 22. 
Now, the Antichrist, he is the first to be destroyed. He is the first to go to what? The lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. It's a permanent death. Recall when Lazarus, when Lazarus died, Jesus said, oh, he's asleep. And then uh, one person, the daughter died, and Jesus said, oh, no, no, she's just sleeping. Then Jesus raises her from the dead and says, uh, give her something to eat and drink. Over and over again, we see in the Bible that death, what death? The first death, what we experience as a result of our inheritance. What have we inherited from Adam? We've inherited We've inherited the ability to experience death. We've inherited mortality. Adam was born in the image of God, but when he and Eve sinned, he lost sonship. And so all of their offspring were born in the image of Adam. And so that's why Romans tell us, Romans, the book of Romans tells us, God sent a second Adam. Why? Because the first Adam lost sonship. What does it mean to be a son? It means many things, but the key thing, at least from my perspective, the key thing it means is that one is immortal. One has everlasting life. What kind of everlasting life? Everlasting life in a physical body. Adam lost that. Adam lost that. So... A second Adam was sent. Now, who's the second Adam? I'm I'm thinking you know who it is. The Bible tells us the second Adam is Jesus Christ. And by him being our mediator, you know, the wages of sin is death. So that means anyone who sins and we've inherited the propensity to sin, anyone who sins, that penalty is death. Jesus died in our place. So... Since he died in our place, that means our sin debt is paid for, but we have to agree to allow Jesus to pay for our sin debt. What does it mean? Does it matter if your dad left you a million dollars in the bank if you never go to pick it up? If you never arrange for a direct deposit, if you never claim your inheritance What does it matter that your dad left you a million dollars now? Your father in heaven created for himself a physical body. He indwelled it so that he could pay for your sin debt. Why? Because he wants you to be restored to sonship or daughtership. What does that mean? He wants you, when we get to the end of time, When we get to the end of this world, he wants you to live with him on the new earth. Now, just like the foolish person who doesn't go to pick up his inheritance or go to pick up her inheritance, any of us can choose to reject. Any of us can choose to reject the payment that God made. In other words, we can say, you know what? Instead of the first resurrection, I'm going to go ahead and be my own lawyer. I'm going to be pro se. So if you represent yourself in a court of law, they call that pro se. So 
in November we're going to be talking about the Great White Throne Judgment. And in the Great White Throne Judgment, that's the dead judge prophecy, all of the people who participate in the second resurrection, they're operating pro se. What does it mean? Those of us who participate in the first resurrection, we've inherited death. That's what we deserve. Why? Because that's, that's what's in our DNA. We, we've sinned, and so we're subject to the rule. What's the rule? The wages of sin is death. We're subject to the rule. The rule predates us, and we're subject to it. Um, but every person who participates in the first resurrection has followed Acts 2.38. We follow what it says in First Timothy. We have allowed Jesus Christ to be our mediator. What's he mediating? He's mediating our case. God has a case against every person. Why? Because every person born in the image of Adam has sinned. We've lost sonship. So when we lost sonship, that means we inherited the propensity to sin, and it's in our genes. We can't help it. We've sinned, but we're not victims. We're victors if if we find and follow God's plan for salvation. So this whole mediation thing, God has a case against everyone. What does that mean? On the new earth, there can't be any sin. On the new earth, it's only people who are 100% free of sin, no DNA errors, uh, no sin in the body, uh, no sin on the earth, no, uh, none of the angels who rebelled. All of those who are team Satan will not be on the new earth. So what does that mean? For those of us who want to be on the new earth where Jesus will reside, where God the Father will reside where there will be no more mourning, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, no more death. We've got to be 100% free of sin. How's it going to happen? As you know, you know and, and I don't say this in a proud or arrogant or boastful way, but I'm sure I sinned in the last week, probably today. And probably tomorrow. Of course I don't want to, but as written in the in the Letters of instruction, I don't want to sin, but I do. Why? Due to the fact that we were born in the image of Adam. So we need a mediator. Who's the mediator? First Timothy tells us there's only one mediator, Jesus Christ. So when we find and follow God's plan for salvation, we allow Jesus to be our mediator. That means our case is settled. Let me, let me sum this up. In two minutes or less, those who participate in the first resurrection, our cases are settled. We're in right standing with God, and that's what allowed us to be eligible for the first resurrection. That's why our DNA is reconstituted and made perfect, and we're allowed to transition from mortality to immortality. We, we exist again on this present earth. Some people think when you die and go to heaven, that's the end. No, no, no. Every believer is coming back where? To this present earth. When? When the first resurrection happens. When's that? Before the battle of Armageddon. Now let's stay here talking about the first resurrection, the second resurrection, and the Antichrist. 
The second resurrection is for every person who failed to go to mediation. These are the individuals who are operating pro se. So in other words, when we participate in the first resurrection, we have gone to God and said, God, I'm sorry. I have sinned. I I repent of my sins. I'm ashamed. I'm sorry for uh, what I have done. I want to turn away from my sin. I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. And then we get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sin debt, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. Our case is settled. Acts 2.38, the case is settled. Now, some people, they really, they really believe that if they have 55% bad, let's say they believe if they have 51% good deeds and 49% bad deeds, sin, they say, oh, well, 51 versus 49, I'm a good person. But the Bible says none is good except for Jesus. Listen, every person who's telling himself that or telling herself that is saying, you know what, I I think I'm a great enough attorney that I'm, I'm just going to go into the great white throne judgment. I'm going to represent myself. I know that the opposing counsel is God, and God has a case against me, but listen, let me let me just go ahead and handle it. Jesus, I don't need you to be my mediator. I'm going to settle my own case. Friend and truth seeker, we're going to be talking about it in November. 100% of those people who operate pro se at the Great White Throne Judgment, they lose their case. Now, what does it mean to lose one's case? It means that when the bifurcation happens, instead of living on the new earth, they are destroyed and they are transported to Gehenna, the lake of fire. What's that? The second death. It's permanent. Now let's go back to the Antichrist. The Antichrist looms large ahead of us. I believe that Barack Obama had a dream about the Antichrist. Do you remember his book, Dreams from My Father? And he tells the dream about the leopard. I believe Barack Obama, just like God gave Nebuchadnezzar, an end times dream. If we look at uh, if we look at the book of Daniel, and we look at his statue dream, I believe it's Daniel chapter two. I don't have that in front of me. I believe it's Daniel chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar's statue dream. I believe God gave Barack Obama an end times dream, and he describes the emergence of the Antichrist. That's how I analyze, how I analyze that dream. When the Antichrist stands in the middle of the third temple, so very soon we're going to have the confirmation of the covenant, the war in Israel is going to escalate to such a point that people are, are there's going to be such world pressure to have peace. And a peace agreement will be signed. And it's not going to solve all problems. But it's going to be, it's going to say what should happen 
for seven years, and it will give Israel the green light to rebuild its third temple. We've been waiting since 70 A.D. Now, Prophet Randy Chandler just turned 70 on October 7th, and as um, Daryl Paul pointed out the other day, uh, the second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. There are a lot of sevens. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials, seven churches, seven letters to seven churches. When the Antichrist stands in the middle of the rebuilt temple and declares that he is God, it's going to be a horrible day. It's going to be a horrible day. But as described in Revelation chapter 13, the rule and reign of the Antichrist is finite. What does that mean for a defined period of time? Start point and end point. The rule and reign of Jesus Christ is forever and ever. We're told in Isaiah chapter 9, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Let us not be afraid when we consider the reality that the Antichrist will soon emerge as a powerful leader. And those who are in Christ will be here during the Great Tribulation. You say, how do we know? Let's go back to the Millennial Reign Prophecy. Revelation 20, verse 4. It says in the middle of verse 4, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue, nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again. And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, neither you nor me, neither of us can refuse the mark of the beast unless the mark of the beast is available for administration. We can't refuse to worship the statue commissioned by the false prophet unless the false prophet is in place as the false prophet and unless and until he has commissioned the statue of the Antichrist. We can't worship the statue until it's here. Now, if... The first resurrection, which we know is the first resurrection because it tells us that in verse 5 of chapter 20 in the same prophecy, if the first resurrection happens before the great tribulation, then we can't be here to worship the statue and refuse the mark of the beast. It's just not making sense. It's just not making sense. What makes sense is to believe the word of God, to understand that the Bible is the infallible word, that all scripture is inspired by God. And uh, the Antichrist is destroyed. And then after he is destroyed, the governments of men are put down. Now let's go back. So the millennial reign prophecy starts with Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. So immediately before, in the marriage supper prophecy, that's the prophecy on the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, That's the documentary John the Revelator was shown about the Battle of Armageddon. It says in verse 20, And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. And then it says later in that same verse, both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. So at the end of the Battle of Armageddon, 
the Antichrist and the false prophet, not only do they lose the Battle of Armageddon, but they go to the second death. When the Antichrist goes to the second death, he is forever separated from God. He is forever separated from the ability to communicate with any person on this present earth. He has no ability to be impactful anymore. His sphere of influence is limited to where he resides, which is in the fiery lake. Now, I said the sphere of influence. I don't know if those in the fiery lake are actually influencing anything. I think they're being subjected to something. But certainly, he does not have the ability to transport himself back to the present earth, to uh, communicate with mortals on the present earth, to ally with Satan. So Satan Satan will just use him in the false prophet, and then him and the false prophet – they go to the second death, which is permanent. It's for it's a forever death. It, I mean, that is a horrible thing. That's a horrible thing. I think you want to live on the new earth. You want to have a body that never, ever gets sick. You want to have a brain that operates at 100%. You want to have legs that allow you to run like the wind. You want to have hair that's full. You want to have perfect vision. You want to have the ability to carry out the plans and purposes of your God unhindered by the fiery darts of the enemy. When's that going to happen? Well, it can start happening now uh, when you're in Christ. We're starting to win, but ultimately we triumph in totality when we participate in the first resurrection. The Antichrist fails to participate in the first resurrection, and... He goes to the second death at the Battle of Armageddon. So what does this mean for those of us who are here after the Battle of Armageddon? Those of us who are ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ on this present earth. It means that the Antichrist, who will be so large, he will be so large, such a prominent figure, the new world order, the one world government, Iron mingled with clay, right? The one world government, the new world order, it's a counterfeit. In the New Earth Prophecy, we're told that God's new order is the new earth and the new heavens. But Satan, being the plagiarizer that he is, everything God God will have and does have, he wants to have the same thing. So God's going to have a new order, so he's going to create a new world order, and that will be the one world government, the ten-nation alliance that dominates economic and political affairs during the 42-month Great Tribulation period that's in the context of Daniel's 70th week. Now, the Great Tribulation, it's not seven years. There's a seven-year period. But the Great Tribulation itself, as described in Revelation chapter 13, is limited to 42 months. Why do I bring this up? The Antichrist is here. That's a fact. Very soon, 
very soon as these wars escalate to a crescendo pinnacle moment, we will have finally a peace-sharing agreement. Now, those of us who know the prophecies of the Bible, we'll be excited, but not for the same reasons. Some will be excited because they will believe that the temporary peace is a true peace. Of course, it won't be, but they will believe that it is. They will be excited to see Jews worshiping in the rebuilt temple and Muslims worshiping in their mosque, both on the Temple Mount. They will say we are, we're finally we're finally getting somewhere in this world. But the truth is, we are moving very quickly. We are moving very quickly to the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. Described in the book of Revelation, in the 1,260 days prophecy, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, and elsewhere in the book of Revelation. We are moving very quickly to that period. Now, this is what we need to know. When we see the war in Israel, when we see the war in Ukraine, and there will be more wars, maybe even here in our, our nation. When I say our nation, I'm talking about the United States. I appreciate that there uh, listeners everywhere, there are listeners in many nations, uh, when we see these wars, don't let your heart be troubled because all these things must happen. All these things must happen, including, including the Antichrist declaring that he is God, setting up the abomination that makes things desolate, the ensuing war on Israel, the expansion of that war, which will include a war on Christians worldwide. It's described at the end of Revelation chapter 12. But in the middle of the 666 Antichrist prophecy, Revelation chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says something quite amazing. This is what we're told. Those who are destined to go to prison will go to prison. And those destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. What does it mean? This secret was unlocked to me relatively recently, just this month. It means that every person who's not in Christ is going to a prison of darkness. Every person who is not in Christ is going to die. And when they die... Those individuals are going to Hades as disembodied spirits, mind, will, and emotions, the soul intact, the spirit intact. They're going to a temporary holding tank. They're going, it's a layover. They're going to Hades. They're destined for a prison of darkness. All these people who take the mark of the beast, who refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, they're destined for prison. And they will stay in that prison until the second resurrection, until after the millennial reign has ended. Then they'll participate in another resurrection, the resurrection for the purposes of the great white throne judgment. We're going to be talking about that in November. The other thing we're told in the 666 Antichrist prophecy is this. 
Those destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. Whose sword? The sword of Jesus Christ. We just heard in Revelation 19, the, their entire army, whose army? The armies led by the Antichrist. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. Who's that? Jesus. He rides a white horse from present heaven to this earth. He lands in Israel. He fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon. He doesn't come to sing Kumbaya. He doesn't uh, come to hand out Halloween treats. He doesn't come as the Lamb of God. He comes as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He comes geared up. He comes with weapons. He comes with a sharp sword. And all those who take the mark of the beast and are who are in the armies of the Antichrist, 100% of them die. Now, we're talking about the fact that the Antichrist himself is irrelevant during the millennial reign. So here's what we want to make sure we take away from our time today. The Antichrist will be destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. His destruction is permanent. He is the first of God's five enemies to be thrown into the lake of fire. One down, then, and very close in time, the false prophet is also thrown into the lake of fire. The two of them reside in the lake of fire, forever separated from God. They are already in eternal damnation. So they are the first two to go to eternal damnation. In the millennial reign prophecy, we learn that their father, Satan, he doesn't join them until a thousand years later. Now, can you imagine the Antichrist is in there? He allowed Satan to hype him up. He allowed uh, himself to become a flunky of Satan. He allows himself to uh, believe that he is God. And then... His father who tricked him is not even there with him. He's just in there with the false prophet. I guess they're entertaining themselves. I have no idea what they're doing, but it's a place of torment. It's a place of torment. I imagine they're replaying all the times that they had the opportunity to receive God and reject Satan, but they didn't. I'm guessing that that's what's replaying in their minds. Honestly, I I don't want to think too much on it except to say, friend and truth seeker, don't you join them. And I'm saying to myself, Nicole, don't you join them. Join who? The Antichrist and the false prophet. So those of us who are among the wheat, so they're the wheat in the tares. Those of us who are among the good fish, there's the good fish and the bad fish. Those of us whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, There are those of us who are in Christ, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and those of us who are not. Whatever you do, I believe the most important thing you can do is make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Listen, I don't care what your husband, wife, rabbi, pastor, imam, son, daughter, grandmother, grandfather, and I don't say this disrespectfully. I say it respectfully. A person can be wrong. The Bible is never wrong. 
a person can be wrong. The Bible is never wrong. You need to make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, every person whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life participates in the second resurrection, second resurrection, operates pro se, defending himself or herself in a court proceeding, a legal proceeding, where God has a case against the individual. Now, as you can imagine, no person is smarter than God. 100% of the people who are going up against God lose their cases. Don't let it be you. You need to go to mediation. I need to make sure that I have been to mediation. There's only one mediator, Jesus Christ. We're told that in First Timothy. He's the only mediator. Now, what does a mediator do? A mediator allows you and allows me to escape, to escape the requirement to participate in a legal proceeding in court. We go to mediation so that the opposing side agrees that the case is settled. We go to mediation so that the opposing side agrees that the case is settled, everything's good, everything's good, the case is settled. So, again, the Antichrist, his case will never be settled. He is going to the lake of fire he will not be here during the millennial reign he will never ever see the government of jesus christ on this present earth if you are in christ and i believe you are if you're a truth seeker and you're not in christ keep seeking the truth if you are a truth seeker and you're not in christ make sure Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's only one way to get your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life are authorized, are authorized to participate in the first resurrection. And only those who participate in the first resurrection, in other words, only those who are members of the royal race, that's what I mean to say. Only those who have transitioned from mortality to immortality are eligible for eternal life on the new earth. Again, that's the point of it all. The point of it all is what happens after the end of the world. This world's coming to an end. Time's coming to an end. What happens in the eternities of eternities? Who cares what happens on a 100th birthday or 105th birthday. Now, I'm excited about that to some extent, but when you consider the reality that you will exist for a 1,000 years, 10,000 years, a million years, wait, wait for, wait, a billion years, when you consider the reality that you will one day be a billion years old, it hardly matters what's happening in this, in this part of your life Except that you need to make sure that when that bifurcating point happens, when the bifurcation happens, that you go the right way. What's the right way? You transition to the new earth and not the wrong way. What's that? Transitioning to Gehenna. 
Those are the only two physical locations. You might say, research scientists, you know, I'm going for option C. I just don't believe in all that. That's like a person saying, well, I'm going for option C. I just don't believe in the concept of oxygen as a requirement for life. Sometimes in our limited knowledge as humans, we believe a lie or we fail to understand complex realities. Let's make sure we understand this complex reality. No individual had the ability to create himself or herself, and no individual has the ability to destroy himself or herself. Even if a person takes his or her own life, the person continues to exist as a disembodied spirit and soul. The person hasn't ended anything except for the physical body. But still the reality of either participating in the first resurrection or the second resurrection, it still applies. It still applies. Don't be deceived. You've got to make a decision. You must determine. Now, you might say, I don't have to do anything. True enough. If you fail to make a decision, by default, you're on Team Satan. If an individual fails to, on purpose, go to mediation to allow oneself to become a child of God, the individual stays in, uh, stays with being in the image of Adam, stays with mortality, stays under the curse, curse, stays with being responsible for all the sin debt that he or she has acquired. So we must understand the Antichrist will be a very powerful figure. That's, that's clear. He's going to grow in power and dominion. But ultimately, the most powerful figure is Jesus Christ. The Antichrist will rule and reign for 42 months. Jesus Christ will rule and reign for a 1,000 years and for the eternities of eternities. Now, I don't know about you, but just looking at those stats and facts right there, looking at those numbers, 42 months, a thousand years. 42 months, a thousand years. There's a there's a there's a clear winner and loser. You want to be on the winning side. Nobody goes to the Super Bowl to lose. Nobody goes to the Super Bowl to lose, friend. We are headed to the Super Bowl of life. You've got to decide: Are you going to be on the winning team or the losing team? Are you Team Jesus or are you Team Satan? Now, you do have a choice, absolutely. I can't think of any compelling reasons to be on Team Satan. Now, if you have some, I'd be interested in hearing them. I'd be interested in hearing them. If you, now, this is not jokes. If you honestly believe that there are compelling reasons to be on Team Satan rather than Team Jesus, I would like to know what those reasons are because I can't think of any. I can't think of any. Now, here are compelling reasons to be on Team Jesus. Being on Team Jesus allows one to transition from mortality to immortality. Being on Team Jesus allows one to live in a peak performance body, having perfect physical health. Being on Team Jesus allows one to have uh, peak performance emotional well-being and psychological health. 
Being on Team Jesus allows one to live on the new earth where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more mourning, no more grief. Being on Team Jesus allows one to transition to a leadership role. Every person who is a member of the royal race will, quote, rule and reign, end quote, with Jesus Christ during the millennial reign. Being on Team Jesus will allow one to see the face of God. Do you want to see your creator? Do you want to gaze upon him? Do you want to look at his face? Do you want to be able to walk with him as Adam did? It's coming for those who are team Jesus. We're told about these things in the New Earth Prophecy, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5 of 22 as well. There's so many reasons. Listen, I just listed a few. There's so many reasons to beat team Jesus. I don't know about you, but I I really want the Cowboys to win the Super Bowl. I'm tired of us not getting there, and, 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 you know, it's time. It's time. But the truth is America's team may win or lose the Super Bowl. We might not even make it, but I'm believing we're going to make it to the Super Bowl. We'll see what happens. But for a fact, what is known for sure is that 100% of us who are on Team Jesus, we win. We win the Super Bowl of life. God's called you to be a winner. God's called you to be a part of his royal family, a member of the royal race. Now, very soon, we're not going to be talking about uh, who's white, who's black, who's Latinx, who's Native American, who's, Canadian, who's, you know, we're not going to be talking about those things very soon. We're going to be talking about who's mortal and who's immortal. That's what we're going to be talking about during the millennial reign, because there will be those who survive the battle of Armageddon. So nobody at the battle of Armageddon who's team Satan will survive, but there will be those on the present earth who took the mark of the beast, who failed to participate in the first resurrection. There will be mortals during the millennial reign. So there will be those of us who have transitioned to immortality, and there will be those mortals who survive the plagues and any offspring that they have. And so we're not going to be – it's going to be a whole other way of thinking. The Antichrist won't be here. The one world religion, everyone will see that for the lie from the pits of hell that it is. So the harlot church will not be in existence. The one world government will not be in existence. The Antichrist will uh, be forever separated from you and me, this present earth, and most importantly, God. So I'm excited about the millennial reign. I'm excited to see us coming to the point where the green light will be given for the Antichrist. The green light will be given for the third temple to be rebuilt because that means that the revealing of the Antichrist of the entire world will be soon coming at that point, be soon coming within years that we can count on one hand at that point. Listen, we're going to be talking about this prophecy, the Millennial Reign prophecy, every 
every session in October, every program in October. Also in November we'll be talking about the dead judged prophecy. That's the great white throne judgment. That's the second resurrection. And then in December we'll be talking about the new earth prophecy. So would you consider putting this on your calendar? The learning experts tell us if we hear something seven times, if we have a meaningful interaction with some information seven times, we're significantly more likely to be able to pull that information up on demand. So when you listen to this talk on the Millennial Reign Prophecy and then you listen again on Thursday and next Sunday or maybe you go to the archive and listen, when you listen to this information presented in different ways, different angles, uh, slightly different focus, but you hear the prophecy over and over, you hear discussion about it seven times, that means that when you need to know that truth about the millennial reign, your brain has it ready for you to uh, bring it right into your working memory. You can access it on demand. That's how you know you really know something. It's one thing to hear something and understand it in the moment, right, or to be reading something and it makes sense as you're reading it. But later, when you need to synthesize that information with something else that's happening or you need to uh, recall it because you, you need the hope that comes from that information, from that knowledge, from that truth in the Bible, you have to have had it downloaded into your memory in such a way that you're able to retrieve it on demand. So repetition is how that works with our brains. Uh, repetition but also meaningful meaningful interactions with the information. So I believe this has been a meaningful talk. I'm so grateful for your time. I never, ever take for granted you listening. I understand that there are a thousand other things you could be doing. You're choosing to uh, focus on the Word of God. You're choosing to hear teaching about the book of Revelation. You're choosing to hear the words of the Bible spoken over you. I value that tremendously. I value that tremendously. I want to uh, share with you that there's a special blessing. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 tells us there's a special blessing. Every person who listens to the prophecies in the book of Revelation and who obeys what they say uh, is blessed. So, friend and truth seeker, I declare and decree that you are blessed according to the word of God. I invite you to share your questions or comments. I'm working on a response to a question that came in about the 180 miles of blood. I'll have that in an upcoming show. Maybe you have a question about the book of Revelation or a comment. I invite you to share in real time. You can call during the live Internet broadcast using our PGN phone number, 1319-527-6027. You can text. 24-7 using our PGN text number. That is 1-214-505-8719. That's 1-214-505-8719. Okay. We are coming to an end for our time today. I don't see any hands raised, but I see you there. Some of you are listening by phone. Maybe some are listening uh, via Internet. Thank you for being with me and with us. 
according to Jeremiah 33.3, if you haven't done so yet, I encourage you today to call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.